Hello, you're listening to the Mag Culture podcast recorded right here in the Mag Culture shop, Clerkenwell, London. I'm Jeremy Leslie. And I'm Liv Siddall. Hello and welcome to the Mag Culture podcast. Hi Jeremy, how's it going? Hi, all good, you? Very good, actually. Yeah, nice um, sunny spring day. It is. It's uh, very nice to walk towards the Mad Culture shop today and see all the new copies of The Gentlewoman in the windows. And Absolutely. as Jamie called it, it was like snowdrops and daffodils because Absolutely. of the colour situation going on. It's very been a busy nice. morning. It's been a busy morning. I guess every industry kind of has certain things that happens during the year. Like for the chocolate world, it's Easter. <laughs> the chocolate world. <laughs> yeah, valid. And for us, it's The Gentlewoman. The arrival of a new issue of Gentlewoman is big news and... Um, the night this year's just arrived, and as you say, it's in the window being celebrated. And, and the cover reveal is always a big deal. And this morning at 8 a.m. on Instagram, it was lit up with the new the new issue, which features Cindy Sherman. Yes, very exciting. American artist, which is interesting in its own right. But it's a, I think it's the first time the magazine has done a double cover. And uh, it's quite rare to see an image of Sherman as herself. And that's mm. one cover. But the other cover is her... Um, She's famous for for adapting and uh, her whole look to be somebody else, and in this case, the other cover is her as a bearded man. So you've got these two covers, one extreme to the other. Yeah, they both look so great. But that wasn't the idea. And I I caught up with um, the editor in chief Penny Martin earlier just to ask her about this front cover, and she said how it wasn't planned, but it came about when the photographers Inez and Renaud um, came back with the pictures, the portraits they'd done of of Sherman. Uh, there were so many of them, and, and it actually reflected uh, the profile in the magazine really well in terms of there was a picture before and a picture after, and they wanted to reflect that, the kind of the process of what Sherman goes through in her artworks. It's so perfect, got two isn't front it? Covers. Yeah. yeah, it's just great to have, to have Cindy represented in that way. It's just, yeah, it's an ideal double cover situation because sometimes you can feel like they're a bit kind of, um, well, there's not much point to doing double covers sometimes, but in this situation it kind of works completely perfectly with with what she's about. I had a quick look through the issue, but I uh, haven't completely devoured it yet. But there looks like there's some fantastic interviews in there. I cannot wait to read the interview with sensational woman of the moment, rapper and singer and flautist, Lizzo, well, who when, well I said, when I said <laughs> that she was a flautist, Jeremy asked if she was anything to do with Jethro Tull, <laughs> uh, which she is sadly not, uh, but hopefully a collaboration could be on the cards at some point. Also, there's an interview with Sharon Horgan, which will be great because she's just finished uh, Catastrophe for Good and the TV show. And I cannot wait to, have, to read the chat with the incomparable musician, artist, general polymath, Cozy Fanatuti. Uh, it's always a great mix. Yeah. And one of the spots I made was um, Lucy Bronze, the England footballer. Yeah, that's going to be great. And a quick one more little thing on uh-huh. Gentleman. There's a really, really good feature, which is uh, a photo feature by Nigel Shaffron, who's amazing. And it's just uh, creative people um, from different parts of the creative industry just yes. grabbing a snack on the go. And the yeah. photos are just so great. Yeah. So that's yeah. a really like charming, kind of summery, springy piece in there. So yeah, very exciting. I was asked the other day, and I get asked this a lot, so, you know, what what fashion magazines you're interested in it's not a world that I engage with much at all but the one area where I think there, one magazine that does fantastic fashion shoots is The Gentlewoman and that's the perfect example of something which transcends the normal fashion because it is a fashion shoot there are all the clothes are credited yeah. and there are models d- engaged in doing that but it transcends the idea of a fashion shoot it becomes something else it's, yeah. a, it's a, a art in its own right it tells a kind of like charming little sort of fun story as well as being very yeah. beautiful to look at anyhow following our last episode of the podcast we had a lovely email from adam moss about the segment where we talked about um, him leaving new york magazine which was um, very kind of him just great to hear he listened <laughs> but he obviously enjoyed <laughs> it and why not i mean we were very flattering about him and we we do hear if we from people him off. No, <laughs> That'd be terrible. Well, we might have heard a bit faster maybe <laughs> 
that was good to hear, and it's lovely to hear when people are listening. Um, when this is what this is the seventh podcast. Don't know. And um, well, it is. It's the seventh <laughs> podcast, Luke. And it, episode by episode, more and more people are listening. But we'd we'd love to hear from you about what you think about it. Yeah. Really, um, a lot actually, because we wh- whether we're talking about you or not, we want to hear from you more directly what you're enjoying and what maybe you want more of. Or if you want us to talk about you, we can we can do that as well, negatively or positively. If absolutely, you want us to just give absolutely. you, if we do shout outs, can we? So we'll, we'll give an email address at the end of this episode, uh, or, or we can add some stars on iTunes or SoundCloud or, or wherever you're listening. So, gentlewoman aside, what else is jumping out on the shelves at the moment, Jeremy? Well, there's always, always lots of newbies coming in, lots of lots of uh, both new, fresh magazines and, and uh, regular, you know, n- updates on on existing magazines. I want to start with the new issue of Monocle. Just, it's an extraordinary <laughs> magazine because, <they, laughs> in so many respects, it's so serious and it's quite rightly kind of respected for its coverage of, of business and fashion, design, etc. But this new front cover it has this kind of weird little illustration of of a person's face where they've superimposed a croissant on the mouth and it's kind of really cute <laughs> and it almost is, really naff I don't yeah, I, I can't it quite is decide weird. I, it, it does look a bit odd but it, it's very yeah it's very cute and fun it reminds me of the, the Gourmand uh, cover where there was the banana mm-hmm. in, the, in the place of the smile to be honest it makes me want to buy Monocle more because it, it makes yeah. it sort of no, look, it softens it but yeah. they always do this and they've got their little their little um, icon their little um, owl mascot yeah who is quite weird looking and the weirdest version of him is the live version. Have you seen the person dressed up as... as no. Oh, it's a bit scary. <laughs> they do it at, the, at their events. They have... It's like huge, great big... It's, it, they've got it in Japan. You know, they have a yeah. very busy relationship with Japan. And they flew it back on the plane in a seat next to the person accompanying it. Very odd. I quite like how Monocle are... You know, this, I mean, Monocle is, is, is Monocle, but then they've got this kind of funny quirks every now and again. Yeah, like absolutely. that, like, like flying yeah. an enormous human mascot yeah. out on a plane. Like, I don't know. <laughs> It's interesting. But so the new monocle's out, and, and in case it wasn't clear, with the, with the smiling croissant face, that it's all about France. Mm. Yes, that makes more sense, actually. Yeah. For <laughs> suddenly context, makes, suddenly it all falls into place. <laughs> to put that in perspective, that's issue 121. Meanwhile, we've got a, a launch issue of a magazine called Gaffer, which promises to link football, fashion, and music. In some respects, it's sort of you, th- you hear that and you think, well, there's so many magazines do that. And we already mentioned Lucy Bronze is in, in The Gentlewoman. Yeah. This magazine, though, what's intriguing about it is that it kind of represents the new generation, both of, of, of um, musicians and footballers, who are really kind of Instagram-friendly and savvy about their own images. So whereas before, a lot of these kind of people were hidden behind PRs and really private and, and only certain mm-hmm. stories came out about them, this magazine reflects this world of, of, of footballers and uh, musicians who are running their own PR through through social media and so suddenly yeah. you get access and both in terms of photography and interviews with people that if they had been launching their careers 10 years ago they wouldn't have been so public yeah so true I find that that magazine quite fascinating because when you showed it to me earlier I, I would have had no idea what it was about it just doesn't really give away its its mm-hmm. its theme or its or its insight just from the front cover it's, it's quite a surprise and it's so thick there's so much in it um, yeah well it's it's a it's a heavyweight beast of a launch um I've got to, I've got to examine it deeper, but it's uh, I think I'm going to I'm very interested to read more about that. Yeah, that's good. I don't want to just focus on on UK magazines. Just quickly, uh, American Cordata's just in from Brooklyn in, in the states. A lovely little magazine that covers all the arts. There's there's literature, poetry, photography, painting, and it's a, it's a lovely kind of unique overview of young people's creativity and young people uh, working in the arts. And a really nice cover too. With a little girl Absolutely, on it. Absolutely, with a mic. 
broadening it a bit, it's always interesting to note themes of, around new magazines that turn up in the shop and that turn up for us to review. And we've, you know, we've seen several things recently. It's always interesting to me how magazines both reflect and lead kind of the concerns of society in a broader sense. And right now, I mean, the last couple of years has been loads of uh, young women making magazines for young women, and that yeah. both kind of both looked at and reflected the Me Too movement and everything surrounding that. And now we're seeing a bunch of magazines that are almost a kind of repost to that in the sense from, from, from men looking at how, what, what it means to be a man yeah, in the context of those magazines. So we need to take a closer look at that. We're going to feature something, I think, on, on, on the uh, Mag Culture Journal about that soon. I'm sure we can pick that up on the podcast. For sure. But right now, there's several about sustainability and climate change that we want to have a look at. Yes, lots and lots. Which one would you like to start with? Uh, I think we should start with the smaller of the two. Yeah. It's freezing in L.A., yeah, great magazine. You actually showed me that a few weeks ago when we had a chat and it just looks like this amazing publication. I actually, when I first saw it, was confusing it with Freeze LA, which has just been happening recently. Yeah. But actually, it's nothing to do with that at all. It's, it, it's no, about... The name, the, well, the name comes from this, this ridiculous, you know, typical quote or typical tweet from Donald Trump about, you yeah. know, it's freezing in LA, so how can global warming be happening? I mean, you Good know, one. Missed, missed the point <laughs> entirely. But it sets up the tone for the whole issue. It actually very boldly says on the front cover, an independent magazine about climate change. I spoke to editor and founder Martha Dillon to find out a little bit more about the background and how the magazine came about. We launched It's Freezing in LA about a year ago for a few reasons. When we're faced with a problem as dense and overpowering and often as scientific as the environment seems, it's really hard to feel very moved. I think if you talk to a lot of people who have become determined about making change, there tends to have been a moment or a spark of a story that first got their attention. And then it becomes something they engage with in more detail after that point. So asking people about how climate change plays into their different areas of interest brings out a really rich collection of stories and pictures. And that's a really good way to start trying to piece together a sense of exactly what's going on. I think the second reason we launched IFLA is that even though people are concerned about climate change, the angles we hear through most of the media are very scientific, very angry, and often really ill-informed. Our homes and our phones are filled with beautiful, empowering discussions and images about all kinds of things, but very rarely about the environment. So the language and visuals we're using in the magazine are hopefully intelligent and bright, but they're mainly about conversations and interesting ideas and images. We've just released our second issue, which is built around graphics taken from images of the wildfires last summer in California. Uh, We've got a piece by Caroline Lucas, who writes about how she wants to see a future climate-friendly UK, pieces on history and theatre, stuff about learning from Indigenous communities... We've got illustrations from lots of really fantastic people like Charlotte Ager and Nina Carter, all of which are hand-rendered, which is something you rarely see in the context of environmental communication normally. Altogether, we've been dealing with the very obvious need for profound change across the world. Uh, And then our third issue, which we're working on at the moment, is looking more at what that change actually could look like. Thanks, Martha. For anyone who hasn't seen the magazine, it's, it's quite a small format, it's on quite uh, sort of newsprinty paper. It's stapled. It, it sort of suits its subject. It's quite functional in appearance. Yeah, but also similarly to um, Gaffer magazine, 
seeing that you wouldn't necessarily think straight away that it was a magazine about what it is. Yeah, and yeah. It, it looks kind of, it's got kind of like an attitude to it. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty loud, massive text. It's got a big Donald Trump quote on the back. I mean, it's just that there's, there's a kind of like a humor in it. There's a bit of like a kind of sassiness to it that I think is really great. Absolutely. I think, and I think also, the, I mean, I really encourage people to pick up a copy, partly because of the, the importance of the issues it's discussing, but also because it's discussing them in a way that's so different to how we're used to hearing them discussed. Yeah, it's so either, true. It's either panic about it in which case what can we do help or else it's who are these idiots that are in denial that it's happening yeah but here we have this bunch of quite often quite brief stories but they get under the skin of very specific areas of it and introduce you to, to sit, sort of situations simple things around for instance the idea that um we have to change all our light bulbs to to new technology to led rather than tungsten that's been enforced by um uh, illegally enforced across the eu but that's affected the theatre world because in, in, whereas at, at home we can just take out a bulb and put in a new one, mm. in the theatre world the, the, the kind of lighting system they use demand a whole new lighting rig. I did you not know that. You can't just swap out the bulb. So, and so actually whereas the, the existing technology in terms of the lights themselves have, have been built and generally last 50 years, they have to be ch completely chucked out in order to replace them with the new LED lights. That so actually, it's not as simple as just replacing the bulbs. You need to have a more considered program of change. Anyway, it gets into the real kind of nitty gritty of these details, and it's a, a, a lovely approach to the subject. Fantastic. Nonetheless, underlying it, you can't deny that there is still this kind of uh, the, perhaps this paradox that what, why is there a printed magazine about climate change? Yes, and, it is true. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose people might question if you are going to be talking about um, sustainability and saving the planet and all that, why why put out a magazine? I mean, magazines aren't necessarily um, <laughs> yeah. known to be the most um, you're energy it, efficient you're way of wasteful. getting your word out there. Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, if they can be recycled, mm -hmm. then of course not. But I'm not sure all magazines are recycled. Is that right? I mean, I guess not. I mean, there's all sorts of effects and, and printing techniques that might avoid any attempt to recycle yes and i'm sure martha's probably thought about that in the making of that magazine, well they do but... mention it at the back they they do they do of course not a, a nod to this whole subject and talk about um how they're printing and and, and the type of inks that they're, they're doing the best they can to, yeah for sure to circumnavigate that and but then there's also just this issue of how of, you know what are magazines for if we just ban magazines because they're they use paper and ink and power, then what, what replaces no, it? No, it's ridiculous. I mean, you could also argue you could sort of do things online, but that's that's also problematic because, as we were just discussing earlier, and one of the biggest kind of um, contributors to, to climate change, so like you kind of argue that that's not really going to work mm -hmm. either, and that's what I've been reading about in this book that um, maybe other people have read too, James Bridle book, The New Dark Age, where he talks about that quite extensively. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. There was someone who did a talk, I think, at ModMag said that if you haven't got any money to make a magazine, at least have a really good idea. And I think that is yeah. magazines should be a way of getting your idea out there. And if your idea, if your message is to try and save the world and that's a good way of putting it forward, then I think it's kind of okay. Absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, and, and as I say, they do, they do take account of this at the back of the magazine. Another project which is almost at the complete other end of the scale in this respect is, is a, a fashion magazine called More or Less. Yeah. Uh, that we just featured on the journal. Um, you can catch up there with some images from it. I don't uh, know too much about this one, but it, it's ginormous, isn't it? Well, it is, and it's you know it's a biannual. This is again is issue two. Um, Amber Valletta's on the cover, and it is you know it's it's full on fashion, like all the biannuals. It's it's like three hundred pages. Yeah. It's more or less a three size. It's a beast of a magazine. But on the on the cover, the two big lines that stand out are attainable and sustainable, and it does 
profess it, it, it wishes to promote, as the name perhaps suggests more or less, uh, it wishes to promote sustainability in fashion. Yeah. Uh, and this, and again, in a sense, like I mean, I described that it's freezing in LA as being an appropriately functional kind of format and use of resources. In a way, if, if you're going to take on the fashion world, you need to take it on in in their own terms. Definitely. So the magazine sits alongside equally huge you know, piles of paper in, in the mag in, in in the fashion world, but the stories are all around sustainable fashion and what people are doing in that area and there is the, the, this whole argument about sustainable fashion where it's so for instance um they have limited each shoot to a certain cost per outfit oh great but then what would you think that cost would be oh my god i don't know <laughs> i've got no idea for that magazine and per shoot no well per outfit per outfit so their um, story is that no, no, no outfit in this magazine will cost more than x 500 quid not a bad guess. Oh, really? Bad, well, that was the first issue. They did it at five hundred pounds. Still quite a lot. And it, but oh, but but they <laughs> but they struggled to achieve it. Oh. So now it's gone up to a thousand. Oh God! So it's a one thousand pound per outfit, which seems a, 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 an extraordinary amount. But their argument, and it's a, I think it's a convincing. No, that's one. my personal budget. That's what I tend to <laughs> yeah, uh, tend to uh, go for each day. On a Friday, maybe two grand, but normally in the working week, just <laughs> just grand probably. I mean, you can argue over the numbers and the figures, but there is just this thing that actually, you know, if you're paying five pounds for a t-shirt, mm. well, I mean, that's not. Definitely. Healthy. I mean, that's too little to pay for a T-shirt, given the, the the environmental waste and the exploitation of workers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No, it's really great to see that just discussed across um, across lots of different platforms at the moment. That's a kind of a discussion that's becoming way more into the kind of public eye, and people are sort of starting to really take notice of the effect that you know fashion is having on. I mean, the, the climate. I mean, it's yeah, huge, yeah, and they're yeah. bringing it. They're hopefully bringing that new law with the one p taken off each. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Each purchase. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's good. But also, we wanted to talk about um, in magazine making in particular. There is this sort of process that people will be familiar with, whereby, especially for shops like yours, Jeremy, if you do sale or return, mm -hmm. when you buy a big bulk of magazines and then you have to return some, you have to rip the cover off the magazines, right? So you can kind of prove that they've been unsold. Mm -hmm. And I assume that they're just going back to some big kind of plant somewhere and then being sort of pulped or, or something or burnt. I, I don't really know what happens to them, but they, they, really they, they, they then <clears> become <throat> unusable. Well, you can... The thing is, I've often been at... Um, like magazine fairs and stuff where you, where you do buy back issues that have had the cover ripped off and you still kind of buy it if it's like, you know, a couple of, mm -hmm. if it's like a pound or something. Right. But obviously the, the cover, without the cover, it does just become, it's stripped of its, of its identity, of its beauty, of its worth, just because the cover's just ripped off. This is a great kind of hidden part of the industry, which um, is essentially very depressing. <laughs> I mean, it's a horrible part. Before I had the shop, I was always really critical of, of this part. And, and as soon as you have a shop and dealing with third-party distributors, you can't avoid this as, as, as an issue. If we take uh, magazines from a distributor, um, we have to pay for those magazines. So we have to tell them how many. So if we take 10 of Magazine X, we have to tell them at the end of that sale period that we've sold five copies. And you might think, OK, we'll just send the five unsold copies back to them. But yeah. of course, sending five magazines is quite expensive to send back to something which is now past its sell-by date so what they expect you to do is as you say rip off the cover or even just rip off the logo and mail that back to them so that they, <laughs> they can see that now the magazine that you didn't sell is now 
unsaleable. There's something just so horrible about it. It's, 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 it's like, it's like um, someone sending you like a finger in the post, like yeah. it's sort of like, like a warning or something. But it's, it's, some, but it's a, something that people really don't, I mean, I think it's important that people understand this is part of how it works. And I think if, you know, in the, in the more mainstream market, it's, it's a sort of hidden part of the whole mechanism. And it's, I've been talking to quite a few people this week, trying to get them to talk on the record about how many, you know, in a print run of a big magazine, how many copies do they print and how many get wasted? Yeah. And it's the people, I don't want to talk about it because no. it's a horrible figure. But, you know, going back in time, you know, if you go back about 10 years when a lot of the big mainstream magazines were selling more copies, it wasn't unheard of that 30 to 40% of them got pulped. So if, 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 if a magazine was on record as selling, say, 100,000 copies, probably there's 30 or 40,000 additional copies that didn't get sold that were wasted oh my god that's so many and it's just a, a horrible flaw in the whole kind of magazine industry but i suppose in every industry there's a problem with waste and and also it's a problem that no one really wants to talk about to put it in context it's just it wasn't so long ago that burberry were being called on on burning 28 yeah. million pounds worth of unsold <laughs> items so there there's a context to this which maybe magazines aren't quite as bad but nonetheless yes. I think there's a key difference with the independent sector insofar, and it's what we do here. We, you know, we do have to send torn covers back, but these magazines, A, there are less of them printed, B, they last for longer, so we're more likely to sell them. So we, we return relatively few. I think the other thing to remember is that what, whatever the, the, the cost and resource and effort and, and everything in making a magazine, the, these magazines, compared to a kind of weekly celebrity magazine, are more likely to end up on a bookshelf somewhere kept and loved yeah for sure uh, but generally it's very hard to get a kind of measure on, on on the amount of paper and the amount of wastage that that goes on here but there's um one uh, regular highlight of the magazine delayed gratification every quarter is their celebrity tree count that yeah, they prepare so um, good and, and this is actually i mean it, it, the, the motive is both serious and um comic but why don't I hand over to Rob Orchard, who's the founder of the magazine, he's going to just talk us through what the celebrity tree count is. Basically what we do is we scour the celebrity press for the most tenuous, ridiculous stories that we could possibly find. Things like, one of my very favourite ever, uh, favorite stories ever was Bruce Forsyth getting his coat stuck in a car door. So we look for these mad stories, and then what we do is this. We uh, calculate the amount of space they take up on the page, we divide that by half if it's only on one side of the page. We multiply that uh, by the um, audited circulation of the publication. So we get an idea for how much paper is taken up by this story. And then we put it through this online calculator, uh, which was come up with by a group of academics, which factors in all sorts of stuff like the percentage of recycled paper used and things like that. And it gives you approximately to the nearest tree, the number of trees that are used in putting the story out there. Um, so in the last couple of issues, we've had things like um, Dawn Porter ate a pine nut she found in her bra. That was one tree. Um, Ed Sheeran's bodyguard uh, joined Instagram. That was three trees. Um, Amanda Holden fell asleep on a plane. That was five trees. Um, so we've done it for a while. Uh, the primary reason we do it is because it's very, very funny. I suppose there is a slight additional point here about how easy it is to fill space with celebrity nonsense and how in a time when you know journalism is really struggling to find a business model that works to fund really, really good journalism, what a lot of people are doing is just filling up space with a load of noise. But fundamentally, it's just a bit of fun and uh, we'll keep doing it for as long as we can. 
I love Rob and he's so good at explaining things. I've seen him speak about um, mm-hmm. delayed gratification so many times and and he always talks about that and I just can't hear enough about it. It's just so funny. It's like the perfect magazine feature, a bit like we were talking about um, the New York Times. Yeah. Um, just forgot the name of it. Approval Matrix. Approval Matrix. It's that, it's that magazine feature that everyone's going to want to turn yeah. to straight away. And... It's just ridiculous. <laughs> also, but, but, I'm really, but, but really compelling. shocked that... Yeah, completely compelling because there are some news stories that obviously, you know, are quite interesting. Light Dawn reported ate, ate a pine nut she found in her bra. One tree, but then, you know, Danielle Lloyd's new house is considerably smaller than her previous one, but she prefers it nonetheless. It's like 50 trees. So, yeah, it's fascinating. I could read that all day. Thank you, uh, Bob. So I also wanted to bring a couple of magazines to talk about in terms of the sustainability mm-hmm. kind of theme. The first one is a magazine called the Belleville Park Pages, which I came across years ago and I think, sadly, is no more. They launched it in 2013. It was launched by James Bird and Will Cox, both of them who are writers and big poetry fanatics, were living in, in Paris in a tiny, very obviously very tiny flat in Paris, which was above a printing press. And they wanted to make this publication about poetry and about like these young writers they knew and stuff. And so they basically just made this one-sheet magazine mm-hmm. and printed poems on it and then folded it up and would sort of distribute it. They would hand-fold it themselves, which they described to me once, in the sweltering heat of a, of a Parisian summer in their flat. They were sort of hand-folding it and getting blood on the pages and, like, <laughs> um, and hand-stamping them, hand-numbering that, and that, that sort of thing. But basically it was just there. They, they wanted to get the word out there about poetry and decided that it would be cost-effective to make a one-sheet folded magazine with the printer that mm-hmm. lived downstairs. And it was going to be a publication that cost the same price as a half pint, which then was two euros, that you could read in 10 minutes and then actually just recycle straight away afterwards. And I just really liked that idea that they just kind of wanted to get something out there and in turn just made something very quick and mm-hmm. something that no one had to really commit to. They could just sort of read it, pass it on or recycle. So I wanted to bring that because... I remember um, picking it up in, in coffee shops. It's just a, so a similar beautiful. similar thing next to you buy a coffee and this was actually less than the coffee you were buying. Yeah, exactly. But also, I don't know what they're doing now. So if, if there's any way that James Bird or Wilcox are listening to this, please get in touch because I'd love to know if you're making something else. Because I know there was something else they were sort of planning, but whether mm-hmm. that's going ahead or not, I don't know. Um... But also wanted to bring Ordinary Magazine, which many listeners will know of already. But for those that don't, it's a quarterly sort of fine art photography magazine, which features over 20 artists and photographers from around the world who are sent the brief of one object, which comes on the front of the magazine, and then they have to kind of respond to it with an image. Uh, It's actually started by Max Siedentopf, who is the creative director and partner of Kessel's Kramer, and he's a Namibian and German artist. So he basically gets all his photography friends to respond to this object. And I wanted to bring it because the objects he's chosen for two of the issues are... Mm-hmm. I just uh, They're fascinating because the, the first one I've picked up here is, is the Q-tip, which is obviously an object of quite a lot of controversy because it was invented to help us like clean our ears right and then everyone suddenly sort of came out and said you should never put anything smaller than your elbow into your ears so that's kind of like a redundant object but also it's been kind of well, well, held up as this as this terrible well there are two types the though, aren't there? there are two types two types of what there are, there are paper ones and there are plastic ones so there oh, are really? good Q-tips and bad... What, what, what's, on the, what's on the magazine? These, are, these, unfortunately, I have to say, are plastic. Well, there you go. Um, I just find... And then the, there's another issue here, which is um, all themed around the red and white classic plastic striped straw. So it's just funny seeing these because the way that they're displayed on the front of the magazine in this kind of plastic evidence bag. <laughs> it's just funny that I was just thinking, like, you know, if I showed 
like if I have kids one day, I'll show them these objects, and they'll be like, what are these objects? Because they're just, they're going to be so redundant yeah, soon. Yeah. And it's just so funny to make a magazine, which he probably didn't know when these were made, that they were uh, going to become no, no, objects of such contention. Well, with the straw, I think he did do it deliberately, actually. And I think that that's the difference. I think I think a lot of the things they feature on the front cover have just been like random everyday objects. Yeah. And this one, he's shifted the tone a bit and deliberately done this thing which is in one one point completely ordinary and mundane but as you say carries a lot of weight it carries a new kind of significance and maybe in 10 years time it will be a an object that is extraordinary definitely cool so definitely pick up a copy of ordinary magazine if you haven't seen it before because it is a very good magazine and please join us after the break to find out what our back issue is this month London Printers Park Communications are a key part of the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers make their dreams a reality. Over the past year, they've printed over 120 different magazines. They offer a wide range of services to make your magazine stand out in a shop like mag culture. They're also always keen to work with recycled papers and new products. For a recent photography book with Alan McFetridge, they use materials made from recycled coffee cups. Just like Mag Culture, Park Communications love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast. Welcome back uh, to the final segment of the podcast and this is The Back Issue. Every episode we take a look back at a magazine from the shelves here at Mag Culture and this time we're going to an American magazine that collected found stuff from around everywhere, printed matter, written notes. Uh, The magazine was called Found. It was launched in 2001 by a guy called Davey Rothbart who I was in touch with but I seem to have lost, um, I couldn't get hold of him in the run-up to this. But the magazine itself is, is a fantastic kind of collection of nonsense um (laughs) it is literally just stuff that he found yeah mixed with stuff that other people have found and then sent him Uh, yeah people started joining in um obviously a lot of the stuff came from around america and uh around the the locale where he was based but there is as the magazine kind of took off people began to send him stuff and there's one example here which actually came from london and from there's a letter from the city of westminster council addressed to some unfortunate it it says dear sir i'm not sure i don't think they've actually deleted the name but everything else is here the date the name of the person that wrote the letter etc and i'll just i'll just read it (laughs) dear sir i understand from the library staff that last week you were verbally requested to leave the library and not return until your personal hygiene becomes acceptable in spite of these requests you've continued to come into the library your physical condition is in violation of section four of the city of westminster public libraries and archives bylaws. You will be excluded from the use of any library of the library authority until you no longer con- contravene this bylaw. <laughs> Which is charming. Char- <laughs> People actually wrote these. I wrote a letter to someone saying you smell too much. So mean. Um, so mean, but so fabulous seeing it in black <laughs> and white here. But then there's a lot of handwritten notes and shopping lists and obscure nonsense. There's also, um, I think, um, as, as it went on, um, people started sort of submitting features. There's one here that I've got in number three, which is someone um, interviewing their brother, who's called Popcorn Pete, who is just an amazing finder. And it mm-hmm. says that he, since he graduated from college, he just spends his whole time raiding dumpsters and alleyways and selling the things that he finds. He just loves finding stuff. So they're sort of like 
took it forward from just finding stuff on the street and bits of rubbish and bits of old notebooks and they started talking to people who just spend their whole lives finding things because and actually some of it is quite emotional some of the mm -hmm. things they find um i actually oh yes there's love letters and yeah and there's sort of i think people sort of scribbling down when they were sort of feeling caught up in their own head or some i mean some of it is funny like that sort of person in the library who's very smelly and then you can suddenly turn the page and be sort of thrown into a relationship where you're reading this this letter between two people sort of have like a kind of breakup letter so it can be quite that's the best thing yeah. about it i think i actually came across this magazine when, like when i was about 18 and i've held on to it ever since because i i never really i'd never heard of it before i just well obviously found it in a shop and i remember being so struck by there's a note on the last page for sale set of his and hers gold wedding bands never used 50 dollars <laughs> and it reminded me of that um Ernest Hemingway there's, there's a lot story. of insight as well in people's lives there's, there's one here from uh uh, from issue four, uh, Ray is out of town, so anyone can sit on the couch until Friday. <laughs> <laughs> when Ray's away, he can use that couch. <laughs> and also, just like I think the whole aesthetic of the magazine is great. It's just, it's just got that kind of zany thing. Everything's stuck down with sellotape and scanned in, not scanned, but like photocopied yeah. in. It's just got that really nice. I love when, I don't know if anyone else thinks the same way, but I love when paper has been photocopied and then stuck in because you can see all the crinkles and all the kind of the tears and the rips and the grubbiness I think that's like always a really nice thing to see especially on the internet too actually um, I, get, I get but I get I guess nowadays a lot of this stuff probably doesn't get printed or written or a lot of stuff is sent in emails and yeah actually you I mean the last wouldn't... time I was banned from a library I got an email <laughs> <laughs> it's true I'm not sure how much detritus you'd find on the streets that would be of mm. interest anymore I remember when I was a, a student there were lots of people trying to do projects about found objects because mm -hmm. there was a sort of a fascination with that but the tutors always said well what are you what do you really think you're going to find because mm -hmm. apart from the odd shopping list like on the street near Tesco like there isn't much going out there at the moment because people just don't write things down as much or if they do they use their notes and their phone like I do which is good but also it's not, it's not as romantic maybe. I think the magazine lasted for about nine issues um, but it had, been, it, had a, it had a history beyond that uh, they went on. There was a there was a book compilation of the first four editions, and uh, Davy even took it on a reading tour. And he seemed to have made a huge success of that. And he's now quite a figure. He's done TED talks. He's done other things. And I, I don't think necessarily referring back to Found as a project. But there was also there's even a, a musical based yeah. on Found, which, which I would love to <laughs> which see. I, love, yeah. I can't quite imagine um, how that works. And of course, I mean, it, um, I hope everyone's already uh, with me on this. Of course, this is ideal for putting on the internet yeah and true. there is it is on twitter there i think they're mainly working through archives but you can there is a twitter feed found mag it's made for instagram really isn't it just well, yes, quick yeah, snippets yeah. you can just i mean and as you were sort of saying earlier it's just kind of that would be a lovely thing on the internet that actually is a, is a positive space rather than something that makes you feel well it is it's really it's, it's a happy it's happy twitter yeah exactly i was just looking through and i just found this picture of um there's a guy who found like a collection of photos in a supermarket car park of this woman's 50th and it looks so fun <laughs> it's just lovely things like that this kind of she's just there on the sofa with all her sort of girlfriends getting really pissed and having a 50th and it's just that kind of stuff i mean why wouldn't you want to see that? <laughs> I would also point out that I, I found out earlier that if you type in found mag into Google, the first thing that comes up, <laughs> suggested for me anyway, is found maggot in my house, which I hope that no one else has to do. But I thought it's interesting that that's what it suggested. Maybe it's just my personal algorithm showing up. OK, well, let's leave it there before we find out more about the algorithms around uh, Liv's Google use. Till next time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And finally, we really want to hear from you what you're thinking about the podcast and how much you're enjoying it. Go into uh, iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you're sourcing this. Highlight as many stars as you can. 
And if you're re- if you're really keen to give some uh, p- feedback about which bits you enjoy, which, which any ideas you think we should be covering, uh, you can email us at podcast at magculture.com. See you next time. Bye. Just one thing before you go. We've just confirmed the date for this year's ModMag New York edition. So um, we haven't been able to announce any of the speakers yet, but we're busy putting them together. But in the meantime, if you're in New York on the 29th of May, diary that date and look out for news. Subscribe to our newsletter via magculture.com to get full details. Thank you.